Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. I'm very excited for today's pod. With me, I have Dean Mannix, who is going to downplay all of this stuff, but Dean's the number one international best-selling author of Protect and Provide, 20 years of global consulting on sales strategy, training, and coaching across North America, ANZ, Europe, South Africa, clients like Deutsche Bank, Oracle, Goldman Sachs. Look at him smiling. He's blushing. Um, he is also the CEO <laughs> the CEO and co-founder of Sales ITV, um, which is one of Australia's leading sales organizations where you've coached and trained senior execs, corporations like Suncorp, Westpac, Macquarie Bank, Fairfax, News Corp, Meridian Energy, Medibank. It goes on, on, and on. Mate, welcome to the pod. Great to be here. Dean, it's um, it's 2022, and from what you're seeing on the other side of the fence, are sales and marketing working better together now than they they have historically? Um, I think that the the challenges may have changed, but the lack of real collaboration and real understanding of the value each brings to the equation is is still pretty poor. Yeah, considering that organisations need to rally around sales because revenue. And profit is what enables a business to survive and yep. to buy the tech stack that everybody wants and to buy the people they want. And so it surprises me that the alignment isn't stronger. Yeah. What would you say? Like, why does it actually matter? I think it's like, it seems like a really obvious question to ask, but why does it matter if I'm a marketer sitting in-house in an organisation and don't really have a great relationship with sales or vice versa? Like, why does it matter for the two two teams to, to have well, a better working it, it, relationship. It's always mattered, right? It's always mattered. The bottom line is a great salesperson without a lead to talk to is like a, a 747 sitting on the tarmac, not earning you any money and costing you lots of money. Yeah. At the same time, a fantastic marketing campaign with zero conversion is worthless. And, in fact, it's worse than worthless. It costs you money. Yeah. So the simple reality is is that every aspect of the pipeline is important and the uh, and therefore, collaboration is important. Now, what we've got happening now, obviously, is this, this real blurring of the lines in terms of, well, who's responsible for which part of the pipe? And can organisations operate without salespeople and just real smart marketers who nurture incredibly effectively and convert online yeah. and maybe lower-level salespeople? Or what I'm really seeing is we're still in a place where most organisations uh, perfect marketing, nurturing, doing everything through the pipeline, through marketing alone is, is still a pipe dream. I'm not saying there's not great marketers. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. I think that's right. Like some industries have been more impacted than others, but fundamentally it, you, you do kind of – most businesses do need to have both working together. And I, I guess my perspective on that is is that um, the internet, the ability for the our, our collective end customer – to go out there and research and read reviews and read brand-generated content and case studies and whatever else, um, it almost magnifies the importance of the two teams working together. I think back in the day, um, the kind of the classic old story of walking into a car sales uh, showroom 20 years ago, the, the sales rep had all the power. Um, when yep. these days the end customer sits there doing their own research, they do probably come into an organisation better armed than they once did. Um, so they're, they're more swayed by marketing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's no role for sales to kind of close out the revenue touch point. Well, I mean, the, the fact that they – so car dealerships are a classic. The yep. fact that people still have to go into the dealership to buy a vehicle because they want to touch it, they want to feel it, they want to test drive it yep. um, is an indication. The fact that we've still got department stores. Okay, yeah, sure, absolutely. Online sales going through the roof, Amazon taking over the world, but the simple reality is – 
there are still a very significant number of people that want to touch and feel and can be turned off or turned on um, as a result of great sales and great yeah. sales experience. hundred percent. I think from our side of the fence, Google did some awesome research kind of two, three years back now looking at the average path to purchase in auto. And it was kind of 900 yeah. digital touch points before they'd actually go into the dealership. But you're not seeing cars bought online, right? I guess the Tesla kind of is an example of, but I imagine that 99% of vehicles being bought in Australia are, are being sold by a sales rep, right? Yeah, and I think it's, it's one of those things, right? It's always easy to pull out that case study that somebody throws up so they can sell you something out of their tech stack that yep. promises the world. Yep. But the reality is most of these huge wins are exceptions and outliers. They are nowhere near the norm. Yeah. And so you've got to be very, very careful about what you make big strategic decisions and big strategic statements around Yeah. Um, because the simple reality is so much of what marketers and salespeople are getting fed is simply not true. Yeah. It's just not true. When you look behind the numbers that these companies are claiming and reporting and the marketing that's going on at the moment, um, none of those numbers stack up if they're peer-reviewed. Interesting, interesting, Dean. We'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll have that one uh, off off the pod, so not name any names. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it'd be interesting to like you're a really seasoned um, expert in sales environments, right? You've worked with B to B to C, B to B, lots of businesses in Australia, lots of businesses abroad. Um, like, what are the what are the typical reasons or factors you see or have seen? as to why sales teams and marketing teams just don't seem to see eye to eye? Yeah, I it, it does my head in, but I even when I talk to really senior executives and very, very smart people from both sides of the table, yeah. there's a real lack of understanding of how each party can generate real value in each piece of the pipe. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I think so many salespeople completely lack any understanding of the concept of priming, the concept of, of getting someone ready to buy, um, the amount of the, the value that can be generated by really working on someone before they speak to the salesperson. So, yeah. so many of them totally discount that and they think that they're the centre of the universe and the whole sale starts with them. And that's just pure ignorance yeah. and missing out on a huge opportunity to participate with the marketing team in playing in that awareness and interest piece of the puzzle and, and and really sharing valuable knowledge around what's going to happen as they come through the pipe. The other side of that is, is I think marketing really underestimates just because I generated an MQL, how challenging it is to convert an MQL into an SQL yeah. and then actually into action decisions and paying over the money. And, and, you know, it's really interesting. I think the industry with that MQL, SQL language has done itself a lot of damage a lot of damage because it's sort of part of responsibilities and created more of a chasm between sales and marketing mm. when what it should have been doing was saying, actually, we need to work together the whole way through the pipe because we can both have major wins here. Yeah, I think I, find that, I think we should, I'd like to dig deeper into that later on, the MQL, SQL kind of divide. Um, I did do a little bit of research coming into the pod today, Dean. I didn't want to come totally unarmed against you because I know you know you generally have most <laughs> of your ba- have most of your bases covered. Um, you know, I was kind of reading Harvard. Business. I'm just an angry old man. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I got over fifty, each and every year I've gotten angry. It's I'm, quite scary. I'm, I'm getting there. Don't worry. <laughs> um, There's a good study which said that um, when marketing teams were were kind of surveyed about how they felt about sales, and when sales teams were uh, surveyed on how they feel about marketing. 
the the terms used to describe the other was 87% negative, which I think is an interesting kind of overview. Yeah. Um, and then there was a Harvard Business Review piece that looked at what the benefits were in organizations that could actually move closer towards sales and marketing alignment. Um, yeah. And just so clearly benefits that benefit whether you're working in a sales environment or working in a marketing team, um, essentially deal, the time it takes to close a deal, radically reduced, increased profit on the deals themselves, um, a flywheel effect like we would all expect, which is the more quicker sales are closing, the more profit on them, the more money that then goes back into the marketing team to fund activity for the next you know planning cycle. Um, actually bigger, um, bigger average sales and lower CPAs. So the kind of the, the benefits are there, right? But I think oh, yeah, it is, absolutely. yeah, yeah. It's not like it's um, it's not an issue. Well, this is the fascinating thing: is people we we know this, but we don't apply this, and we don't discuss this enough. I think inside organisations that so much of the client's decision slash customer's decision about how much they're willing to pay, therefore how much margin you're going to generate, yeah. and when they want the product, therefore what the deal velocity is going to be. And whether they want to tell their friends about their experience and therefore whether the advocacy is going to happen, so much of that is generated very early in the pipeline. And right. there was some, there are, and there are some very brilliant marketing people playing an amazing psychops game before anybody turns up to that store, let alone walks to the front door. Yeah. And and what sales often don't appreciate is that so much of what's making it easier for them to sell at sell more product sell more of it and sell it at more margin is actually determined and driven by what the customer experiences before they've even spoken. I, I really, I think that's really interesting because I, I think coming back to your point before about um, has the whole concept around MQL, SQL actually done more harm than good in terms of bringing the, the, the two teams together. I think that um, it's a, it's a very, it's an interesting benefit, right? Like I think we all think about, the, the role of marketing just to bring bring leads right and make them reasonably well qualified. I think we think less about the um, the, the the work of marketers and kind of our side of of the divide in terms of actually portraying a message and storytelling and all the stuff that we do to not only bring leads in but to have them primed and ha- primed to spend real cash, right? Yes, hey, look, pr- pr- primed to spend, primed to want to spend, primed to expect to spend. Yeah. they're three different things, yeah. right? And um, and I. Th- but the MQL, SQL thing, the reason I think it's been so damaging is that terminology was more about covering your ass than it was about actually generating real value inside the pipeline for both marketing and sales. Hmm. And I think it's worthwhile, you know, me pointing out something right here. I'm a sales guy. I'm yeah. an absolute sales guy. But if I was building a new business, my head of marketing would be the head of marketing and sales and sales would report into marketing be- because whilst I believe I believe in the whole marketing concept, yeah. the simple reality is, is that if you don't get the front end right and the front end isn't supporting the back end of the pipeline, as in, you know, conversion, um, you're never going to be as successful as you could be or should be. Is that a, um, is that a big-time expose you've just revealed on the pod? Sales, sales leader, sales coach, sales guru, D Manic says that all sales should be, should, should, be, uh, should be managed by the head of marketing. Oh, I'm, I'm working a lot harder on my marketing skills now than I am yeah. on my sales skills. And I mean, that's and, clear. Like, uh, and that is a constant. Like, we, you know, it, it, there's, there's organizations which are structured 
marketing heading, you know, reporting up the food line sales, similarly so, then you do have structures where you have a, a seat which is, you know, has marketing and sales underneath reporting up, right? Um, yeah. I mean, are you saying, therefore, that um, that person should have a mar- – the head of marketing and sales should have a marketing background or pedigree or are you suggesting that just you have responsibility for both functions but – your background could be anything. Well, ideally, they're probably an engineer these days, straight <laughs> up. The reality, you know, the reality is, is whoever heads up that team should understand process, should be smart enough to understand psychology, has to put together a tech stack if they're doing something on scale yep. that's truly going to support everybody throughout the process. Um, and so, but the reality is, is that I think that you these days you really have to come at it from a marketer's perspective and say, right. How can we fill the top of the pipeline in a way that's going to support, you know, so if you, if you look at basically I put this one, you know, just pull this one up just in case. Yeah. How do I fill the pipeline up the top to make sure that the way we do that accelerates sale velocity and what can I do from a nurturing perspective to support that both in terms of salespeople's conversations and other stuff that's going on? And that could be retargeting while the sales conversation is going on. That could be a better proposal process to make things go faster. That could be a more effective chat room so that people get responded to within five minutes. Yeah. Right. Then how do I make sure that what we're doing is supporting a conversion of more sales at more volume, at more margin, and there are so many things we can do from a traditional marketing perspective to support that. And then not only that, once the customer actually comes on board, how can we create such an amazing experience that it becomes very easy to sell more, to retain more effectively, and to make them into advocates, which yep. helps fill the pipeline with really highly qualified And that's leads. it. And that's kind of where you want to get to as an organisation, right? Like the the best clients, most successful clients we have are the ones that have that flywheel of alignment and marketing bringing people in, sales having a great product to offer and delivering on the promises that are made and happy customers referring other customers and, um, you know, the kind of ecosystem takes off, right? But if you think about the disconnects here, right, if sales isn't working with marketing, we might fill the pipeline with the wrong type of people with the wrong type of message. Yeah. If sales and marketing aren't working together, we're missing out on all the nurturing, retargeting, social proof strategies that we could be executing online. If uh, a poor job's done in the first part of the pipeline uh, by marketing not really understanding what's going on, then sales are, one, going to blame marketing, but two, going to do a really poor job of those three conversion um, you know, strategies. And then four... Uh, if marketing's not doing a fantastic job once the client's on board and they don't understand the the value or don't appreciate the value and sales isn't working with them to let them deliver the value, then we've got massive problems because we're going to have to keep bringing on more and more new customers because we're not creating retention. Yeah. We're not creating advocacy. So a disconnect at any level of the, of the, the, the four you know, stages of the pipeline yeah. creates a massive problem, massive problem. It's good. It's, and it kind of it leads into my um into the next kind of theme or bucket I wanted to cover, which is, practical tips to, to building or rebuilding or keeping strong alignment between sales and marketing. Um, like I think f- you kind of just touched on it there for me. I think one is um, agreed personas. Like we'll often find that uh, that we, we'll speak to marketers who don't really understand from the coalface what are the pain points, what are the benefits, what's keeping the customer up at night um, and or potentially marketers who don't understand the, the, the benefit or value that the product th- that they themselves are marketing brings to the customer's mm. circumstance? Well, I think so. it's interesting, right? So uh, uh, personas is a classic disconnect between sales and marketing. Yeah. So many marketers have taken personas to such a crazy deep level that salespeople can't cope with all the detail. It all gets too confusing. 
and they switch off and then the marketers are getting upset about the fact that the salespeople aren't buying into it and they're not really inputting. So I think even taking a step back and saying, all right, just some agreement around personas between sales and marketing around which is the most dominant persona at the beginning of the purchasing process and throughout and then towards the end. And if a salesperson can say, oh, wow, I get it. So the reason we've got five personas is so that you're marketing heavily on booking meetings with that person because they're normally interested and going to get me through the front door. Then you're retargeting the other three stakeholders so they've seen something before I meet with them or talk to them. Plus our proposal document speaks to each three of those other stakeholders. And then basically from a pricing perspective, you've created some fantastic cost-benefit case studies that enable me to sit in front of the CFO and the CEO and have a really powerful story. Oh, now I can understand why you've broken down these personas and why I have different tools around each one. But that's not normally the conversation. What's what's the normal conversation? Well, the normal conversation is WTF are personas <laughs> and you're trying to boil the ocean. Yeah. You, 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 you know, you've confused the hell out of things. You've, you've outsmarted yourself. I know the first time that we did personas in my organisation, yeah. we outsmarted ourselves. It yeah. went like that. And, I, and I, like we... Um, there's, I don't know, there's a phrase which I think we probably picked up three or four years back, which is done is better than perfect. Um, mm. And it's, it hasn't just infused the way we develop personas if and when we do it for a client, but it's very much how we try to run a lot of things through the agency. And personas were a thing that were becoming increasingly overbaked and to the, to the point where they either A, weren't finished or B, were just never referred to. Um, yeah. They're definitely a big believer of... We, if we are having, um, it depends on the client and depending on their setup. But ideally, we do try to get input from um, from from sales functions into personas because it's very difficult if the two functions are in isolation. You're just not properly hearing it from the coalface right as to what are the, the the issues and the objections that should be part of that persona framework. And I, th- I think with larger organisations and even medium small size organisations that have good CRM data, it's amazing how many of them don't look backward and say. Well, of the last 50 sales, what was the entry point? Yeah. Like it's there in the CRM or you can pull it out from the diary. Like who do, who was the first person we spoke to and what was their role? Yeah. How many meetings or communications did it take to get through to the other personas? Like where, where in the sales process did those other personas get involved? I think a lot of organisations outsmart themselves by trying to figure all this out in, in massive workshops with salespeople who have, retention of a goldfish and i'm one of them so i'm putting my hand up there right so everything we say about you guys totally attached from reality i mean the one thing about our sales people i'm very proud of this is you know you ask me where a deal got done and i'll just tell you what i want it to be not what it was (laughs) but you guys are doing all the hard work over there aren't you in sales sales land Uh, where the money comes from it's (laughs) well well we are generally better at selling ourselves than we are selling others And, and and so the challenge when you're trying to get qualitative data from a salesperson, yeah. they'll yeah. tell you what they want to hear and what you want to hear. They won't tell you what's really going on. Yeah. And, yeah. And, so, and that's why, I, you know, in many ways, I'm not a big fan of all these Speak the CEO programs because most of the data I see suggests that the first person people spoke to was not the CEO. Yeah. It's- and, in fact, most sales go through without anybody actually speaking to the CEO. It, all Everything gets signed off somewhere below. Yeah, I think that's right. It's kind of, that, that wasn't the, the kind of – you're doing a good job of just segueing, segueing into the next point that I wanted to talk about. This is good, Dean. Um, the next one is metrics, like SQLs, MQLs we've touched on. Um, I think what you just referenced there is don't necessarily rely upon what a sales rep tells you they think he or she might have 
source deals from. Look at data. Yeah. Like, are you seeing out there organizations that are kind of what that are doing a better job of aligning sales and marketing, looking at certain metrics more closely and actually discarding other metrics that probably aren't as relevant to to sales and marketing alignment? I am amazed at how immature effective use of CRM really is when you get underneath the hood across every size of organisation. Yeah. You know, I think about drinking the Salesforce Kool-Aid, and this is nothing against Salesforce. I'm a huge fan of their product and their solution and what they do and what they're all about. But I remember really drinking the Salesforce Kool-Aid uh, back in 2009. And where we are now is where I thought we'd be in about 2012. Yeah. Um, it's just mind-blowing how poorly organisations are um, are one implementing CRM and, and and driving adoption. That is still a massive problem, and that kind of does my head in because it should be pretty obvious to you if you've been in sales over the last ten years that CRM can generate massive value. Yeah. Um, they're failing to they're failing to collect the data because they're making it way too manual. Then they're failing to use the data, so people are devaluing the data. And even when the data's there, they're ignoring the data and just going off on the journey that suits them. So. I think that's and that and I think that to me is kind of a really interesting point, which is um, we see it we see the same problem coming from a different perspective, right? CRMs yeah. that um, are legacy, aren't kept up to date, aren't doing the job, are too cumbersome, whatever else. Um, organizations that actually do have one and they're using it in an okay fashion, often attribution is just not considered. So MQLs will come no. through; they're looking at last. You know, last click, where did it come from? Or they all came from LinkedIn or they all came from Facebook or Google. Um, those leads aren't any good. But to, to the point you've just touched on, most most high-value sales, it's not one-touch Google form. You're buying a $100,000 piece of software. It's multiple touches offline, multiple stakeholders in an organization. And so if we don't have a, um, a more nuanced approach to, you know, how, how we're using CRMs, attribution type stuff, then the whole thing's fruitless, right? But, you know, it's interesting. I guess that almost gets to the essence of it. If, if, if I was sitting down developing a marketing plan with sales, I'd say let's work backwards. Let's actually imagine that we've got a client who's a massive advocate and they've told three other people that they should buy from us and we've got meetings from those three people. Yeah. What happened just before that? What happened just before that? And what supported conversion, conversion more effectively? And then what, how do we move them through the pipeline and what other stakeholders had to be motivated on the way through? And then how do we actually get into the pipeline and get in front of them? And then what, how do we generate awareness before that? And I'd be working backwards and saying, okay, great. So, therefore, the metrics that support that journey are the metrics that we should use for success, including conversion, including conversion. Yeah. But that's not what happens. What happens is someone says, oh, well, my MQL line stops at around about between fill the pipeline and accelerates its yeah. um, velocity. So I'm going to give you a pack of metrics around around basically what I got to there and then everything from there on is your fault. And then if someone comes around six months later and says, but we didn't convert any of those, then we'll swap channels or we'll swap that's messages, it. which is insane. I think that's right. And I think the, the tone you just used then in kind of, you know, <laughs> acting out the actual reality of lots of organisations, it, it touches on this kind of blame game type thing, which we know is, is eternal. Keen to unpack, because I've got my own view on this and happy to share, but the relationship between the two, I think at the end of the day, we're often, we're people and we've got kids or we don't have kids and we're trying to develop our career and 
retain our place in an organization. Like the importance of the human relationship between sales teams and marketing teams, advice, well, let's break, feedback. Yeah. yeah. Let's break that down, right? What does the science say? The science says there are four things that drive a higher level of liking, interdependence, support between two human beings, mm-hmm. okay, or two teams, whatever it might be. Number one, similarity. Similarity in goals, similarity in values, similarity in beliefs, similarity in experience, similarity in passions. So just by going your marketing and your sales, we've created a difference. Yep. Right? So if there's a lack of similarity, don't be surprised if there's not fantastic collaboration. Number two, exchange and the quality and the quantity of exchange. So the more interaction two parties have and the better the quality of their interaction and the richer and the deeper the conversations are, the higher the level of liking. Now, if I, if I was to map, the average conversation between marketing and sales, it's not high quality or high quantity exchange. So you've got a problem there. Yep. Three, praise. And like you said, it's normally the opposite. It's actually bad-mouthing each other and devaluing each other rather than praise. So we're now three for three that we haven't ticked. And then fourth, admiration. <laughs> I'll, the tick, I'll tick admire, that one. <laughs> the more we admire the other person or the other team or what they do, the more we want to work with them. Yeah. So, so, so the science says I need those four things in place to generate a high level of support, agreement, engagement, work together activity, yeah. collaboration, we'll call it whatever you want. Most organisations are not supporting the ticking of one of those boxes, let alone four of them. Hey, I love that. I, like I do feel that because um, we are talking fundamentally about a typical relationship in organisations, a relationship between a sales department and a marketing department, departments aren't real humans are, right? So it is a relationship between two people. Um, and I think if we look at it, we similarity with your sales on marketing, exchange, <laughs> hopefully as little as possible because I'd rather just blame game. Um, the, the third one, And praise. even the way you send me the leads, even yeah. the way you send me the yeah. leads or the way that I take the leads on, the exchange is terrible. Correct. Praise. There's no feedback. There's no... Praise. Well, no, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm sales. I made all the sales. I made the revenue. This was all me. How often... Correct. That, it was me. Th- thank you so much to the awesome work, the awesome campaign that went out into market, brought these really good quality leads in. We've now brought them over the line. Let's put more money back into marketing. Doesn't happen. Um, an admiration. Well, I think we both laughed at the same time when you said that. So, <laughs> but um, And then I think that's right. And the, and the, the one around um, exchange to me is... is maybe the most important of that. I just feel that from my observation, it's just such a cliche. We've been hearing about smarketing for the last decade, but you just find that there's actually no real collaboration, no connection, no standing meetings, no casual meetings between the two. No. Yeah. Well, you think about this, right? So, and really part of this, my experience in the last five to ten years has been that people's behaviour inside organisations of more than 20 people are far more a reflection of the relationships than the results they've been given to achieve. Interesting. So despite the fact that someone's been given a certain set of results to achieve, if the relationships are terrible, their behaviour is going to reflect the relationships more than the results they were meant to achieve. Mm. So if you don't get the relationships right internally, you can KPI all you want. You can provide targets, you can provide incentives, you can do all those things. But if the relationships are crap, especially in the Australian culture, then you're always going to have so much friction I think that's that a, you know, your efficiency is going to be terrible. Great point there, Dean. I think um, I've been kind of ma- making notes here as, as you've been talking and I think in terms of like those five practical ways that 
marketing teams and sales teams can work better together almost for their own personal interest. I think one is agree on personas. It doesn't have to be war and peace, just good quality, practical personas. Um, I think the education piece, crucial, like how do you educate each other on the challenges that each of you are experiencing? I, I think to kind of put yourself in the other shoes makes a lot of sense. Uh, the third being metrics. You know, do MQLs equal SQLs? Do marketing metrics make sales? If they don't, if there's a natural division, how do you bring them together and agree on metrics that actually have you both moving in the same direction? Um, the fourth one, I've actually never thought of it and I completely love it. The whole concept of, we, I guess the idea of getting on makes a lot of sense, but the actual concept of liking and what makes you like someone, similarity, exchange, praise and admiration. I think going back to some basic psychology, um, Dean is phenomenal. And then the fifth one is just is, um, is exchange. So regularly meeting, um, and I think if you're ticking those fir- fir- first four boxes and you are meeting um, and you have regular catch-ups where you're coming into it with the best of intentions, it feels like five pretty practical, tangible ways that um, a marketing team and a sales team can actually get better results that will not only serve the company's interests, but also their own personal interests. That is awesome. So, Dean, that's most of the kind of the, 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 the themes, the topics I, I kind of wanted to cover. I think just... Right. Um, any observations from you as to you're a young marketer, say, listening to the pod or an in-house marketer, like one thing that you could do to help build alignment with your sales manager or your sales team in your organization? Look, it's really simple. If you are a young marketer, you need to get more excited about conversion and what happens at the end of the funnel than the salespeople are. If you are a young salesperson, you have to get more excited about filling the pipeline than the marketing team is. There's, there's no more room for people who want to play a specialist game because the simple reality is if you tell me, but Dean, I'm the best closer in the world and I'm a fantastic negotiator, I'm going to be great. But I'm going to say great. But if that's all you do, then your overall value to me is very limited and constrained by the number of ready-to-close deals I can send through to you. And if you're a great marketer but no one's closing, then you're not going to have the budget, the tech stack and everything else you need to be successful. So if you're young and starting out, if you're my age and starting out, you've got to reprogram yourself to get excited about the other end of the pipeline. I love it. Dean Mannix, thanks for your time. Game on, James. Always got <laughs> to speak. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.